This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And this is the first Bob Olin Show for the month of October, even though it may not seem like October, with highs up around 80 degrees today. Bob, good morning. Well, good morning, and it's a gorgeous morning in the Northland for sure. Soon to change, apparently. Is that correct, according to the forecast? Yeah, starting uh, tomorrow, we'll get much cooler temperatures all the way through the weekend when we'll have highs only in the 40s on uh, Friday and Saturday. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, We came off, uh, of course, a very interesting growing season there. and (laughs) Probably don't need to refresh people's memories, but we came from record snows to record uh, dry and droughty conditions. And now, are we close to normal on our rainfall, Dave? You tracked this closely for us. Uh, We are, again, above normal, about uh, almost two inches above normal, 1.94 inches above the normal for the year. Now, isn't that just amazing? You know, yeah. if we could just even this out just a little bit, but now we're above normal, and we came through those very, very dry uh, growing months. You know, June, July, and August is when we get most of the growth in our plant material. And actually, a very, very interesting summer, because once again, we had all this moisture, no frost in the ground, so that was all the snow from the winter before. Got down in the ground, and then May and June, we went completely dry. We had the driest May and June ever on record. And uh, through the entire, what we call our meteorological summer, this is our growing summer, June, July, and August, we were just about eight inches below normal in terms of precipitation. We had some areas in our listing area, at least, that were in extreme drought, just a little farther south, and most areas were way below average. And now, here we find ourselves, after a couple uh, rainfall events, to be above normal for the season. (laughs) So it's... uh, it's pretty interesting when you take a look at things uh, because it was above average in terms of moisture, the average in many other ways, and yet uh, we had some real extremes to deal with as gardeners and as farmers and growers. Dave, very interesting yeah. year for sure. Way over ten inches of uh, precipitation in September, and it certainly made the grass grow good because I got to mow that yesterday. It was like cutting wet, damp hay. Yes, yes, yes. So. <laughs> Isn't that uh, pretty amazing, I, th- I think, the way this comes out? You know, I, <laughs> this is just uh, consistent with what uh, at least our meteorologists in the Climate uh, Center, we have a center uh, that's kind of co-operated uh, by both the University of Minnesota and the Department of Natural Resources and a couple of good climatologists there. And they've been telling us for a long while that, particularly in the northern part of the state, we may not be experiencing extremely warm temperatures, but we're going to see some of these extremes, drought, followed by uh, excessive rainfall events, and that's just about exactly the way this unfolded this year. So I'm going to do a little a little piece on uh, just, I think, water management is going to be critical for us coming forward. Now, we had good soil moisture coming in. We don't know what's coming this winter. Uh, have you checked with your woolly caterpillars yet? What kind of winter we're going to have, Dave? Well, the, I guess for the next three months, according to the Weather Service, is supposed to be uh, drier and warmer than normal. That's what they say. And then coming into winter, I guess, uh, once we hit the meteorological winter there, it's going to be snowier than normal. Now, the critical thing is going I think what's going to happen and what's really critical is when we get that first snowfall, if we have an open winter, in other words, we get extremely cold temperatures without snow on the ground, then we can drive frost in very deep. And that creates a certain amount of havoc. Havoc certainly for uh, for some plant material because the moisture isn't down there. And then in spring, of course, when we get snow melt, to get a lot of runoff instead of the soil itself picking it up. So we don't know what's coming this year. We've had actually two very good years where we've been able to suck up a lot of moisture without the frost in deep. 
We'll see what happens this year. But nonetheless, I think that uh, this growing season demonstrated to most of us the critical nature of, uh, of moisture, availability of moisture. We had great sun. We didn't have during the summer extreme temperatures. As a matter of fact, uh, average temperatures uh, June, July, and August were in the 70s. The month of July, average temperature was just about 75 degrees, 74.9, and that is about an, a degree and a half below normal. So our our summer was cooler than normal, where the rest of the world, we, we heard all the reports from uh, the southwestern portion of the United States, it was very, very warm. So I guess we're really fortunate. We had a lot of bright days. If we had water available, it was great growing conditions. And you know, Dave, we're looking at leaves right now, some of those great growing conditions, uh, with the exception of shallow-rooted trees and shrubs, which were under stress, they, they colored up early. But some of the colors have been very, very nice. We might, sadly to say, here in the early October, be past the peak already a little bit. But we got some real nice uh, orange and yellow and red. And, you know, these are the carotenoids that are underneath the, uh, the, the chlorophyll, the green pigment, when that begins to die off. So enjoy at least for a day or two here uh, the wonderful color that we've had in our landscape as a result of the bright conditions. And, of course, most of these trees had roots down where they were getting enough moisture. So we really had a very colorful fall, and it it continues uh, to this day. Yeah, especially uh, to the south, you still got plenty of opportunity to check them out. I suppose the northern parts of the area have already peaked. Yeah, they peaked. It was interesting here. There were areas uh, just south of us that were so dry that uh, some of these trees were under stress, and they peaked a little early. So we had color earlier in the south than we had in the north. And, you know, eventually it's real interesting because these are what we call our deciduous trees. Those are the trees that drop their needles. The conifers, of course, have got needles and uh, leaves as well. Uh, They hang on to most of them. But remember, again, we get these calls every year, what's happening to my white pine, uh, pine trees. Uh, shed needles as well or drop their leaves. They just don't drop them all every year. Uh, They're on kind of a rotation, and the white pine will, depending on the year, drop everything every two to three years. So it's kind of, uh, in many cases, we'll get a 50% needle drop every year. People are wondering what's happening to their white pine in the front yard when they see all the needle drop. There's been quite a bit of needle drop there this year, but, of course, this year's growth is still lush and green. And uh, those trees, the conifers, make it through the winter. Very slow uh, photosynthesis on those uh, green needles that are still remaining. But the deciduous trees, they they drop them all, of course. And I guess uh, that's nature's way. It's cold. Uh, There isn't enough sunlight. Uh, uh, That tree is going to just try to make it through the winter, like the rest of us probably make it through the winter. And uh, so it drops excess baggage. It drops the leaves, which are no longer capable of producing sugars. And it's a, that's a very interesting process where it doesn't want those leaves up there since they're non-productive. And actually, Dave, uh, we get these uh, real heavy winter winds. If the trees were loaded with leaves, there would be even more storm damage. So there are good reasons why a deciduous tree drops those leaves. And part of it is to just get rid of that uh, that canopy that could uh, could lead to more actual destruction of the trees. So that process Right now is going on. There's what we call a, an abscission layer that forms right around that leaf stem, the leaf petiole. These leaves, uh, with the hormones that are running around, we, we develop some cells, tissue there that ultimately results in the drop of the leaf. Sometimes those leaves hang on. We get those questions, and I don't know exactly why on some <laughs> trees this abscission layer doesn't form, and uh, those leaves will hang on there for a very long time until 
the new growth pushes them off in the spring. So everything's a little different. Every tree species is a little different. But right now we've got good color on those deciduous trees. And before they all the leaves all drop to the ground, got to take just a little time. And as we say in this business, smell the roses, stop and enjoy extreme beauty on a beautiful day in the north on like this day. Yeah, I try to get out when the sun is shining. It makes them stick out a little bit more. Yeah, and I guess we got sun until when is that going to change for us? Well, we probably uh, tomorrow. I think we got a chance of thunderstorms tomorrow morning and then mostly cloudy with a chance of showers during the day. So today is your best okay. opportunity, I guess. Yes, I think so. We'll all try to get out there, at least take a take a noon break or something from your activities you and just enjoy the, uh, the beauty that's out there for sure. All right, we'll take a little break, Bob, and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show on the way. It's 925. And we're back. More of the Bob Olin Show. Bob, uh, Apple Festival time in Bayfield this weekend already. Big time, yeah. It's mm-hmm. right. you know, fast. The season just, just goes along with a big <laughs> event. Of course, good apple year. I mean, I would anticipate that there's going to be plenty of apples. We certainly had them here. And, um, you know, we're getting reports from a lot of people. It's kind of interesting how, you know, most um, most of our apple trees have this alternate bearing habit unless you drop some of the fruit in the heavy years. Uh, and uh, this, for most people, was a pretty heavy year for apples, which means they're going to have a light year. Now, those that had the light production, of course, are going to have a heavy year next year. And you may be in that category with your Harrelson there. Yeah, I finally got a light year this year for sure after about five or six uh, heavy years every year, it seemed like. So um, it's taken a break this year, apparently. Right. You know, we had... uh, We've had different kinds of uh, questions here about uh, some of the new, new University of Minnesota entries. It's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, we've got a pretty good apple history in the state of Minnesota. We didn't have apples. I mentioned it before. Uh, they're not native to the area. They're eating apples. We've got a fu- couple of real diminutive uh, crabs that were good for the uh, maybe for the squirrels and nobody else. But apples, of course, were extremely important during the pioneer days. And something I had thought about, I, I was well aware that, of course, there's storage of food. And, you know, when we go way back to the pioneers, uh, we forget how this isn't too many years ago, over 100. But nonetheless, uh, food was in short supply. And uh, getting through the winter without a lot of refrigeration, freezing, canning, nothing really available like that to people, uh, they had to rely on storage. And that was uh, typically cabbage and root cellars and potatoes. And then here were apples. The unique thing about apples is that they were a source of sugar. There was very little sugar at that time, a little honey, but other than that, we didn't have all the refined sugars, so they were really a delicacy and a treat. And uh, this development work really came from some of the apples were native to some of the cooler regions of upstate New York is where a lot of our genetic material came from. Gentleman, again, by the name of Peter Gideon that introduced first uh, table uh, eating apple in Minnesota, the wealthy, which is still in the trade today. And then from that came the University of Minnesota's apple breeding program. And uh, we've had two gentlemen that have been really responsible first for finding the Honeycrisp and developing the Honeycrisp. And from that, uh, any number of uh, derivatives, uh, many of which are in the supermarkets right now. And we have uh, a newer introduction called Kudo. And I believe we talked about that last week, didn't we? Yep. Yeah, and it won't be available, sadly, for a couple of years, probably. It'll be a couple of years. Uh, mm. But because, uh, you know, it was a cross between... Uh, Honeycrisp, which was a, an apple that was released, and um, this is the Honeycrisp was so popular, it went throughout the world, literally went to the Pacific Northwest and out to New Zealand, and sadly, the Honeycrisp is best if it if it really is grown in the Midwest where it was developed. So the quality started to change. I wouldn't say 
you know, uh, quality and taste and flavors are in the eye of the beholder. But nonetheless, it wasn't the same Honeycrisp that was grown in, in the Pacific Northwest region or grown in New Zealand. So there was concern about the quality uh, with an open release like that of deteriorating and the name and not being retained uh, for its super high quality. So they went to a restricted program where now the uh, some of the newer introductions uh, have have been restricted just to commercial growers so they can control where they're being grown and what the quality is. And actually, they got a couple names that are grown in the Midwest. Uh, some of these varieties, I believe it's First Kiss, is uh, is has one name that's grown in the Midwest, and Raven is another name that's grown outside of the Midwest, just so there isn't it. So the quality is still retained with the name for those plants that are grown in the Midwest. But where I'm going with all this, so you can't get those restricted varieties until they come off patent. But Kudo is going to be a little different. Kudo um, is a cross between Zestar, which is a great apple, and a, a derivative of Honeycrisp, and a back cross to Honeycrisp. So we got these two, and both of those are open source. In other words, you can buy both of those trees. Uh, they're great for this area, except uh, not quite as hardy as we'd like. Honeycrisp was introduced as Zone 4, which is along the lake here, where you've got some protection, not necessarily up on the range or those areas where it's extremely cool. But um, Zestar is another introduction that's a great apple. And um, the, this newer introduction, Kudo, is a cross between those two. And as I looked into it, that's going to be open source. So that one will be available for us, uh, the rest of us, non-commercial um, apple growers. So the homeowner is going to buy those. It will take a little while. It's got quite a bit of attention. It looks like a real nice apple. It has got the deep red color that uh, Honeycrisp or uh, Zestar does not really have. I mean, they're very attractive, both of those apples, but they're kind of checkered. They've got kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a combination of yellow and green and, uh, and the reds, but um, Kudo has got a real nice red color. And, uh, and apparently, when you look at its heritage, it's also, you know, going to be an extremely crisp and sweet apple as well. So we're all looking forward to that. But you're right, Dave. It will take a couple years. But the good thing is uh, it's just a matter now of the commercial nurseries uh, being able to grow them out. And apples take time. So it will take a couple years before there's going to be stock available. And then if you can get it. Grab it because I have a sense that uh, people have been waiting for something new, and this is definitely an improvement, uh, at least color-wise, over some of the others. So that one will be really probably in high demand and short supply a couple years down the road when we first can uh, can make a purchase as individuals and homeowners. Great in, new introduction, Dave Bedford. And I, I saw a news release. I got his name wrong. It's not Dan, it's Dave Bedford, not Dan Bedford. Uh, he's uh, the scientist that uh, actually. Is, been responsible for all these introductions. I know him well. We talked earlier, and he said, if I get one commercial introduction in my lifetime, that will be an accomplishment. He's had many, so uh, <laughs> he's just a great contributor, and uh, we're all fortunate throughout the Midwest for the, the good hard work that he's done, along with his team. Dr. Jim Ludy is a part of that. Grad students help with all of this process and so forth, so there are a number of people involved, but uh, Dave Bedford is really the man and responsible. It's the name that... Uh, may not be well known to folks, but uh, he's really contributed a lot to changing really the uh, the apple orchards in our region. And of course, they'll stretch up into uh, Bayfield County, and many of these varieties are being grown there as well. So, all right, Bob. Let's uh, time. yeah, let's head to the phone and find out. We get a question here this morning. Hi, who's this? Uh, Marilyn from Saginaw. Go ahead, Marilyn. Okay. Hi, Marilyn. The last couple the last couple of years, I brought in my parsley plant from the garden. 
And I can't get them to survive. You know, they soon start turning yellow and just kind of dying out. I bring the dirt that it's been planted in, and I keep it in the basement, which is a walkout basement with four by six windows facing south. So it has quite a bit of light. Um, but I don't know if I'm digging it up too late that it can't stand the difference from the cool outside to the warmth in the house or what the problem is. Yeah, well, I think the problem is we're, we're dealing with have you ever have you ever been able to try overwintering it out in the soil? Have you ever tried that? I mean, out in the garden, what? In. Have you ever tried to just overwinter it outside? Uh no. <laughs> I, no, I haven't. Okay. I um generally think I, I believe parsley is just an annual and that's maybe the uh to replant it every year, and it's very difficult to keep them growing. Um, okay. I'm just trying to get more out of it than it wants to give. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I really think so. You know, parsley um, comes from seed every year. Um, it, it really is a warm season crop, and uh, I think we've got a couple like uh, basil and so forth that are in the same kind of category where they really came out of much warmer regions, and they grow for us during the summer months. But uh, during the winter months, even if they're not, we bring them inside, they're really not going to be well-suited to, to keep over. So really planting it as an annual and replanting it. Now, one thing you could do with so many of these herbs, if, if you just start for more, for more seed. So I think the better, better advice, rather than trying to dig it and bring it up and keep it going, would be just to start some more from seed. You've got good light. And uh, warmer conditions, you should be able to grow that out from seed in containers in your, I think you said you walk out basement area. So I think uh, that would be a better approach rather than trying to nurse it along because it's probably going to go down under the low light uh, conditions. Yeah, it, it, okay. it, it, yeah, it just doesn't last. Okay, thank you very much. I think, I think that, yep. from my perspective, would be a better better approach. Uh, but you should be able to get, uh, get it to grow out a little bit longer, but as Light levels decline, and what people don't really realize, they might think they have a sunny uh, southern window, but uh, the light and, and the sun is very low on the horizon, and obviously day length is getting dramatically shorter each day, and all of this impacts kind of what we call a synesis or the shutdown of, a, of an annual plant like that. So that's what's going on. Uh, and once again, my thought would be just let's start some more seed indoors, and uh, particularly, what, you know, after we get, past December 21st, the shortest day of the year. At that point, uh, everything begins to open up. So do a little bit of seeding, and you'll have some parsley. Try basil as well. Both will work very well in a sunny location for you indoors. Okay. Thank you, Bob. It is 939. We'll take another break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And we're back with Bob Olin Show. Bob, this is National Fruit at Work Day, so maybe take an apple to work with you today, or some kind of fruit, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. And this wow. time of year, apples a very <laughs> nutritious fruit. And if you can buy them locally, that's even mm-hmm. better, less pesticides being used typically. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful fruit. And the old expression, apple a day, keeps the doctor away. It has more and more meaning. Uh, even though they're sweet, there's plenty of natural sugar there. They're also extremely nutritious. You know, we got a great big weekend coming up here. Our St. Louis County Master Gardeners has got their annual fall bulb sale. Uh, if we can talk about that for a moment. Yeah. I think it's Quite an interesting event. It's out of Salem Lutheran Church, which is in Hermantown, right uh, right just um, west there or northwest of Piedmont area, uh, and uh, very easy to find right on Hermantown uh, Avenue there, or Street. 
And uh, what's rather unique about this, there are oftentimes a lot of spring sales. This is a fall sale where they've got uh, 2,300 very unique bulbs, and our people did a real good job in sourcing. And these aren't your grandmother's tulips, for sure. These are some very, very unique bulbs at a very uh, reasonable price for the quality that's out there. So there's going to be just a real, a great assortment of these real large alliums that have got flowers, uh, you know, they're six, eight inches across. They've got hyacinths. They've got many of the narcissus. Very unique tulips, in addition, houseplants and succulents. And uh, we're also going to be doing a little bit of educational content. That's our mission. I'll be there at 11 o'clock talking a little bit about pruning pruning up uh, your fruit trees. Requests came in for that, so I'll be there to help out with that. And uh, we will have a very good uh, turnout from 9 till noon. That's three hours to get there early because they will always sell out all of these bulbs. They're very, very unique, and uh, there will be educational content it goes along with uh, with the display, and it does support the St. Louis County Extension Master Gardener Program. So great, great day this weekend. We're really looking forward to that. I know we're going to have a nice turnout. Salem Lutheran Church out in Hermantown, uh, just across from um, Haynes and Hermantown Road there, and um, just on the right as you uh, as you leave that intersection, nine until noon. Uh, great opportunity to buy some very unique bulbs, houseplants, as well as succulents for fall planting. And uh, it's going to be really a really good time. Very good. Hopefully because uh, they will sell everything out, 9 till noon. Uh, is this the uh, bulb planting season now, Bob? Yes, it is. And the reason okay. why this is timed right like mm-hmm. this, you don't want to go too early. You really don't want those bulbs. These are the spring flowering bulbs. And we'll use tulips and, and uh, narcissus uh, daffodils as an example. But you don't want to go too early with these because uh, we don't want them to break through and be out of the ground uh, when the cold weather hits, so we want them in the ground. And we're looking at planting about uh, October 15th. We usually say about two weeks after the first frost. Uh, I think we got some frost in the forecast, and we might talk about that if we get a little time, maybe on Friday night. Uh, we've had a great growing season, but um, we don't want to get the bulbs in too early. We want them to go in uh, after that first frost, about two weeks. So sometime between October 15th and the end of November, you want to get your bulbs in the ground, uh, you know, I use as a as a guide, uh, there are different bulb sizes. Uh, I go three inches on the small bulbs and about uh, five or six inches on the larger bulbs. Uh, just as a general guideline, if you've got heavy clay soils, they're going to come up a little shallower. If you've got uh, sandy soils, because it's easier to get out, they'll be at that three and six inch uh, level. What you can do right now on a beautiful day like this is prepare that area where you're going to plant those bulbs. Try to get the weeds out so they don't compete next spring. And There's a lot of perennial weeds. If it's still green right now, you're going to have to get in there and dig out uh, those underground rhizomes. Uh, the annual weed seed has been kicked out already, and you'll have to control that next spring, but that's easily enough done, the perennial weeds. You want to get that out. You want to work a bed up. Uh, you might want to get uh, a little bit of a nutrient or compost. You've got a good compost advertiser here. Work that in while you're working up your bed. So prepare your beds right now. Get your bulbs in the weekend and then plant them after October 15th, same with garlic. If you're a garlic fan, and that's becoming more and more important, locally grown garlic, uh, that doesn't go in quite this early. We want to wait just a little bit longer. And not with garlic, because the squirrels don't like that uh, particularly, <laughs> but uh, certainly with many of these bulbs, you want to think about uh, just a mat of, uh, I like to use uh, hardware cloth on the top of that area after you've planted the bulbs, if you've got gray squirrels. So these are valuable bulbs. They're going to be very, very dramatic in the spring. And you want to make sure that uh, that the squirrels uh, don't eat them for lunch. So uh, if you've got gray squirrels in the area, they just are notorious for for getting in the ground and, and digging these up. So have a sheet of hardware cloth, 
a little mat that you can put over the top after you plant here in the latter part of October. So there's there's what we're looking at for uh, spring flowering bulbs and your garlic. Uh, hold off just a little bit now, but you got to get those bulbs lined up. Right. And uh, this is going to be a wonderful opportunity at uh, Salem Lutheran Church this weekend, Dave. Do you need to protect those bulbs from the weather, too? I mean, are they down far enough for a hard freeze? Yeah, no, uh, that's a good idea, a good point. I think some good clean straw is always advisable. Okay. Uh, some of these are going to be hardy. All the narcissus are going to be hardy. Some of the alliums and some of the uh, um, some of the hyacinths and some of the uh, tulips are not going to be that hardy. So a good layer of straw. Uh, on top, and then, of course, you're going to take that off when temperatures moderate right. in the spring, and you're going to pull that. I mentioned the hardware cloth on top. If you've got gray scrolls, that all comes off so it doesn't damage the uh, emerging uh, shoots in the spring of the year. But, yeah, it's a good point, Dave. Uh, many of these, because they're kind of exotic, uh, you'll want to protect with a good layer of clean, weed-free straw as well. All right, Bob, we'll take another break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show, 949 already at KDAL. All right, Bob, the farmer's market continues every Wednesday and Saturday, and I bet there's a whole lot of stuff to choose from at the farmer's market lately. Let me tell you, there's a whole lot of stuff to choose from right now, and there (laughs) will be on Saturday as well with frost coming up. Uh, It's a remarkable time. You know, uh, I think the rest of our lives there's going to be a lot of climate discussion of all types, but we obviously were uh, beyond our average first frost free date. It is September 21st at the airport and Mm -hmm. about October 2nd. Uh, down at the lake. So in both situations, um, our frost has been delayed just a little bit. So our growing season might be extended. This is great for our growers, great for the consumer, because there's plenty of frost-sensitive crops on the benches at the Duluth Farmer's Market, both eggplant and uh, a few cukes left. Those cukes are going down pretty fast, but also um, many, yes, a little bit of summer squash and plenty of tomatoes there of all types, including some of the uh, uh, paste tomatoes, which are great for making salsa, and we'll talk about an event we got coming up here shortly on a, a salsa fest. So it's time to grab onto some of those uh, some of those tomatoes. Certainly uh, get them uh, this Wednesday or get them this Saturday to Luke's Farmers Market. That's 14th Avenue East, just one block down from the Burrito Union, and uh, it's a great time for all. Uh, Wednesday is a great time to shop. It's not so crowded in the park, and um, the benches are certainly going to be full. Two to five on Wednesday. Eight till noon. We had a tremendous turnout last week, and uh, we had to delay our petting zoo. But this is just a good vibe in the market. People are interested, Dave, in eating real food again. I bet. It makes me feel real good because the research keeps pouring in. If there's one thing you want to do to stay healthy, extend your life, and so forth, uh, one of the things you can do certainly is improve your diet, uh, minimize the amount of processed food, go back to the real natural foods uh, that we really uh, evolved with and lived with for years and years. So the Lewis Farmer's Market, 14th Avenue, East and 3rd. We got a one time for one more question, I think. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Alice. Go ahead, Alice. And yes, I was wondering, what do I do with my rhubarb now? Well, rhubarb is one of those great. Well, rhubarb is one of those great crops that you don't have to do much of anything. It's going to be good <laughs> when you're hardy for you. What you do not want to do is you do not want to harvest at this point. We want all that energy down in the roots, so we make it through the winter. Um, pretty much deer resistant uh, for the most part. We've had a little surprising rabbit damage I've never seen before on rhubarb, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, there's always something new under the sun when populations, I guess, root get real high in some areas. Uh, they'll eat just about anything, but uh, for the most part, you don't have to do a thing with your rhubarb. We're not going to move it. We're just going to let it grow, and it'll make it through the winter just fine. 
Good old rhubarb, always there, and <laughs> don't have to well, do a whole lot with it, which is good. It, it's one of those real easy crops. It's yeah. one of those crops that's kind of malign, but uh, if you miss it, I've had siblings that moved out of the Minnesota area, and uh, they are in the south, and it doesn't grow very well in the south. Uh-huh. And it's just really a northern crop that we kind of chuckle about a little bit, but it's uh, it's really a great great crop. we got a rhubarb fest. We celebrate it, so... Mm-hmm. And as you say, Dave, it requires uh, very little maintenance on uh, on most people's part, for sure. All right. Well, we're about uh, ready to wrap things up. But keep in mind, the yeah. farmer's market is going to be uh, wide open again tomorrow and on uh, Saturday. And there should be plenty to choose from. I guess the, the corn is pretty much done, right? Yeah, it's pretty much done. Yeah. So it's going to be fall bulbs. And I will mention, we do have an educational event, Solstice, that's October 17th. Oh. Again, coming up at Salem uh, Lutheran Church. Big right. contest there. We'll give you other uh, <laughs> other information about that. But that's a great event, great evening, educational component. And you're going to sample salsas that our master gardeners are putting together. So it's a it's really a fun event. And uh, that'll be on October 17th, 6 to 8 p.m. Probably going to be restricted by space. So if people are... Really interested, and if they haven't received a card on it, uh, 218-733-2870. Uh, leave your name. Uh, there's also up on the extension website you can register there. But uh, probably going to be restricted to 50 or 60 people is all we can fit, but it's a great event. Always fills up. So solve the test, October uh, 17th, Salem Lutheran Church. There we go, Dave. Yep, and this weekend, give us a reminder again about that big event. Yes, the fall bulb sale of mm-hmm. St. Louis County Master Gardeners. Uh, again, the very unique bulbs. They've done a great job sourcing these. Very unique. You're not going to buy them at big box outlets or other places. That'll be this Saturday, Salem Lutheran Church, 12 to noon. That's right on Hermantown Road, uh, just north of the uh, Haynes uh, Piedmont Avenue intersection. All right, and Bob will be back next week. We'll do this again on Tuesday. How's that? It's fun, Dave. Uh, hopefully no frost. I hope we're not talking about what froze on Friday night, but let's all watch that just a little bit. But yeah. it's been a very interesting and good growing season for sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Bob. It's 9.57 now at KDAL.